Hello, 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 everyone, and thank you for tuning in. It's Dr. Tamara Beckford with the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Okay, I am super excited today because we're going to be talking about a topic that I know that everyone is wondering about, right? It is about AI. They're like, oh my God, AI is going to take over the world. Ah. You know, so we're here as medical professionals. And we're like, ah, AI is going to take over medicine. No, 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 no. We have here one of the premier chat GPT expert in healthcare, and we're going to go over all of this, right? So we know, you know, have to figure out, do we have to fear for our jobs? Do we have to fear as healthcare providers? Do we have to fear as the public? Like, am I getting this info right? Like, what am I looking up? <laughs> Like, you know, we know like sometimes the search engine will tell you, oh, I'm looking, my arm hurts. Uh, it might be a tumor. Well, um, okay, we're going to figure all of that out today in a very fun and exciting interview, right? So I know some of you guys are like, oh my God, where can I find this interview? Have no fear. If you are tuning in for the first time and you're like, ah, can I find this somewhere? Because I might not be able to get all of this interview today because I am at work. Yes, you can find this on my Your Care and Docs website. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Click podcast and you are going to see the face of our lovely doctor. Yes, Dr. Harvey Castro here on it. And just click listen here and you'll be able to do it. Now, if you're a doctor and you're like, you know what? I'm doing amazing things too. I'd love to have you on the show. Just send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book. Keep in mind, we're booked out three months in advance. Three months, yes. Why? Because so many amazing doctors like yourself are doing awesome things inside and outside of clinical medicine. So before we go, uh, let's go and get all this whole party started. You saw that little intro. So my mic is also so excited about it. It jumped into the feed. <laughs> all righty. So let's get this party started. So this wonderful doctor of mine, you know, we are kindred spirits emergency medicine trained. We understand the trenches. Yes, we do. <laughs> so this lovely doc, he went to medical school at University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston here in Texas, H-Town area. He did a transition year in family medicine at Baylor. So now he has the emergency medicine and the family medicine combo. He, you know, understands both aspects because he did his emergency medicine training there at St. Luke's Bethlehem in Pennsylvania. He is an author. And if you look and you're looking at this on the visual portion and not on the audio, you'll look behind and you'll see all of those little books behind him. He's an author of all of those books. He is author of Chat GPT Healthcare. He is a medical advisor for AI company. He's also medical advisor for a telemedicine company. He's a chief clinical operating officer for an organization in the company. He's also a serial entrepreneur. I know you're like, when does he get time for all of this? Well, we're going to find out today. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the one and only Dr. Harvey <laughs> Castro. <laughs> welcome, 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 Dr. Castro. How are you? I'm doing well. And I really want to thank you for your time and everybody out there listening. So thank you. Hey, it is our pleasure having you on this show because I mean, you're going to drop some gems. So I'm like, might as well. So <laughs> before we get deep into the chat GPT era, we're going to really bring it back into, you know, 
Little Harvey. <laughs> so when did you decide that, you know what, I want to go into medicine. I want to be a doctor. Tell us that story. Yeah. You know, interesting. I, I have this scar right here on my hand and oh, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> uh, my unfortunate healthcare experience. I was a little scared kid in New York City, uh, didn't have insurance, lived basically poverty and mm -hmm. um, showed up to the ER, waited about eight hours. And for whatever reason, the ER doctor said, we waited too long. Uh, we cannot give you anesthetic and you're just going to have to do stitches the way without any uh, painkillers uh, of any kind. Wait, 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 say what? So he, <laughs> he stitched and I have this horrible scar on my hand. Oh uh, my he God. stitched me up without any lidocaine. And I remember just suffering every stitch and thinking this is horrible. And I didn't know medicine. And I thought, well, I guess if you wait too long, this is what happens to you. And I was just appalled. And then growing up, I thought, you know, I need to be that doctor that is amazing, that is really good at emergency medicine, that cares about people. Mm. And regardless of your status, because obviously I didn't have any insurance growing up, that I'm going to be that doctor, <laughs> the doctor probably that healthcare companies hate because I'm always ordering stuff and wanting to do everything for my patient. And I didn't really mm -hmm. care if administration gave me heck for it. And so that's why I became a doctor. I, I honestly just wanted to be that one doctor that just had this amazing empathy for patients. Oh, wow. Okay. I empathize and I sympathize with the little version of Harvey who had to get stitches without anesthesia. Oh my goodness. And you know, for those of us in emergency medicine, we know, come on now, <laughs> yeah. let us be real. Now that you have the training, we know that we can definitely clean up that wound and add some, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of lidocaine on it and keep it moving. Oh gosh, that is painful for a yeah. young kid. Yeah. All right. So we've done that and now, you know, you have this drive in you to be the best version of yourself in the healthcare field because of the experience that you had as a child. Now, there are a lot of different specialties out there. You chose to get training in, you did two of those specialties. You did your transition year in family medicine, and then you did the training um, in emergency medicine. So what made you decide to go that route versus saying orthopedics, general surgery, like, you know, OBGYN, pediatrics? So just kind yeah. of let us know. <laughs> You're gonna laugh. I think it's the masochist in me. I just <laughs> wanted to uh, be that alpha dog and just work. And I, I wanted to, I just thought it was cool to be able to think on your feet mm -hmm. and that pressure and the adrenaline rush. I thought, okay, that that's gonna be where I wanna be. And I, and I thought, in my mind, where are, the, where are people the most vulnerable? And I thought, you know, in the emergency room, because they don't know what's going to happen. They could be diagnosed with cancer. They could be dying. You, you're resuscitating. You got to, when seconds count, I thought, oh my gosh, that's the doctor I want to be. I want to be the one that's cool, calm, collected, can do mm -hmm. run a code and just make that difference. And I, and I really think the empathy in my mind, I was like, you know, I met other doctors and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to have this weird empathy in a different spin. And if I could put that in ER as opposed to primary care, because there's a lot of doctors that are PCP and they do it all for you. But I thought, man, if I could be that doctor in ER, I'm going to just like kill it. 
<laughs> love it, love it, love it. So you really pulled and honed in on all of this empathy, but then also this drive for this adrenaline rush for things that are moving quickly and split second decisions that we have to do as ER doctors, you know, plus also delivering the news, but being there with the family member when we have to deliver these devastating, um, you know, news, you come in and then you think that just something minor is going on. We have to let you know that, hey, you know, you know, this is probably a, an, you know, a cancer or, or something that's life-threatening. It, it's, it really does tug at our heartstrings to really have to sit with a family during some of their most vulnerable times. So yes, I understand why you went into emergency medicine as an ER doc myself. Alrighty, so, you know, we're there in emergency medicine, but then boom, <laughs> AI, we're like, ah. So everyone is now on the edge about AI and AI technology. So you have been doing advisory in that space. When did you start to recognize, you know what, this is something that we should really keep in mind because it's coming forth and it's going to change the way that we even practice or even look at healthcare. When did you start to become aware of that? You know, I, I love giving this story um, and it has to go do with the first iPhone. So when the first iPhone came out, you know, I was a young, young, recent graduate in ER. Mm -hmm. I'm dating myself. And um, <laughs> long story short, I was coding a patient and I remember telling the nurse, OK, we need to run this drip. And I remember the nurse saying, OK, one minute, got a textbook out, thumbed through the table of contents, found the dose, found the right concentration and drip and said, OK, this is what we're going to run. And I looked at her, I was like, oh my gosh, that took too long. Like, we got to mm -hmm. do something. And, you know, back then, that that was kind of how it was done. Some nurses would memorize some stuff, but some other mm -hmm. nurses would just, you know, even they knew it, they would still verify, which is fine. Yes. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to program, and I'm going to teach myself how to do the first IV Med app in the world. And I did. And I literally created the product out of that need. Mm -hmm. And uh, fast forward, it ended up being in the top 10 in the world for IV Meds. And then I created about 35 more healthcare apps in, in a, not AI, but just apps in general. Right, right. And so fast forward, um, it's late December. I really think that literally I just happened to stumble across ChatGPT and I'm looking at ChatGPT and thinking, I had that aha moment that I had with the iPhone. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be the next big thing in healthcare. And so I know my wife thought I was crazy because she's, like, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm writing a book. And so throughout the holidays, you know, she's like, why, what are you doing in your office all day? And I'm like, I am like working like hard at this. And so I'm like, you know, reading, working, thinking of all these ideas. And I created the first book out there that's called Chat GPT in Healthcare. And it was published on January 5th. And honestly, it probably would have been out in December. I just was kind of dragging my feet like, oh, what else should I add? Or mm -hmm. what else should I do? And uh, and um, big picture since then, I'm so excited and I learned so much that I started doing different spins on it and different angles. And, you know, the, the oddest one is I added a, a, a crime spin on how to mm -hmm. use AI to solve crime. And my wife loves serial killers and that science. And <laughs> she CSI. likes watching those like, oh my um, God, NBC it's like the last two years she's been putting me through <laughs> training. Like, she's like, okay, we got to watch this. And I'm like, all right. So now I'm like addicted to it. And so I thought, why not use AI mm -hmm. and figure AI, how could it be used to, to you know, solve uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or the next serial killer? So 
Uh, I've been on Nancy Grace. I've been on different uh, Fox News and different stuff of how to use it. And so it's kind of been fun to just think outside the box and, and do different things. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the well, for those who aren't familiar, because I'm going to start geeking out and we're going to start going deep. But let's start from the surface. <laughs> for those who aren't familiar with AI technology and really what it is, let's start with what is AI technology. Yeah. So AI, there's different flavors. There's generative mm -hmm. transformed um, AI, but basically it's just ChatGPT. And, and I'm going to pause there and say, because this company called OpenAI has released ChatGPT, mm -hmm. everybody has heard, not everybody has heard, a lot of people have heard of it. And I think it's going to become like the Kleenex or the Xerox machine name. Where yes. Maybe talking about BARD or maybe talking about something else that's a GPT equivalent. But because ChatGPT came out and let people play with it first, people are going to be like, oh, that's ChatGPT. And mm -hmm. so I like talking about that. Now, mm -hmm. the question, what is ChatGPT? I, I like giving analogies. I, I think of it as follows. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT has been, through Scientific America, there was an article that their verbal score was in the top 0.99.99%. Um, so basically a genius verbal agreement, uh, able to respond. Mm -hmm. And so imagine having the smartest person that you know that it's very verbal mm -hmm. and being able to ask that smart person anything you want. But the problem with that person is he or she may give you the right answer, but sometimes will make up answers. And that's yeah. what ChatGPT is. It, you can ask it literally anything. Mm -hmm. And the database is up to date up to the year September, 20, uh, September of 2021. But then anything after that. So if you're like, hey, who won the World Cup or who won the Super Bowl? It'll have no idea. It'll be like Super Bowl was won. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and then today I heard of uh, another hallucination is what the the scientific term is that they asked that they ChatGPT has a function where you can connect it to the Internet. And it asked it, who is the president of the United States? And it mentioned the vice president instead of the president and mm -hmm. said, this is the president. So obviously it has its faults. It's not correct factually. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. with that said, uh, and we'll jump into it in healthcare, There's ways of using it still. Right. Okay. So now what are some of the ways that you can see those who are afraid of jumping and using ChatGPT to really look at it as an aid as opposed to want something to fear? Yeah. So as a general rule, think of it this way. As a human being, as an ER doctor, both of us, mm -hmm. you know, we've worked long shifts and towards the end of our shifts, we're not as sharp as the beginning of our shift. Absolutely. And so why not use AI to help you not make a clinical decision, but to aid you to make that clinical decision? For example, mm -hmm. as an ER doctor, I'll give two examples. The first, um, if you are, uh, one of our main things obviously is diagnosing, and I'm not saying that AI will diagnose, but it's the combination of a human and AI. And so let's just take the example as three o'clock in the morning, I am fatigued, I've been up for over 24 hours, my brain is on autopilot. And so I see a patient and I've seen this patient a million other times, it's just that it's a, it's a different name, but it's the same clinical case. And we start going through algorithms. But obviously mm -hmm. there's times that we are biased, a nurse may tell us something, someone else may something, and then we go down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice now, and I'll preface with an asterisk to use AI, not ChatGPT, but an AI that is trained in healthcare, that is 100% only healthcare, not general, mm -hmm. that you could just type in saying, okay, female shows up, blah, 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 these are the symptoms, this is the, uh, the x-rays or uh, radiology findings, give me a differential diagnosis. And then to be able to look at it and say, huh, 
I didn't think of this one diagnosis. Let me rule that one out. Let me add mm -hmm. this test or just for verification saying, you know what, uh, that's in my differential. It's right there. Um, and then just to aid and help. It's not that it's diagnosing you. It's not that it's going to replace me, excuse me, mm -hmm. ever, because the art of medicine is an art. I wish every patient showed up like the textbook. I wish every single <laughs> chest pain was the same chest pain, but unfortunately not. As we both know, you know, females coming with jaw pain, that could be a chest pain, that could be a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And so AI is gonna have a hard time really understanding the art of medicine just because we're all different. Absolutely. And so that's kind of my big thing. And, and just as a preface, when people are asking, well, what if it's not ChatGPT, what, what is it? I'm a little biased. I think it'll be something like BioGPT and just think of it just as a another database that has been trained on from PubMed and other mm -hmm. medical literature. And that is the information it's drawing from. It's not drawing from some random um, other article. It's literally just medicine. And so I think that will be the future. Okay, I love it. So we're saying that for those who are um, listening, you know, you're just tuning in, um, that the artificial intelligence um, is will be an aid to help those who are in industries that really uses a lot of mental burden. Because if we um, think about it, by the time you are at the end of a long day and you have to make split second decisions that are life or death decisions, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you might have that mental fatigue. And the goal is to be able to use this technology to help to reduce the mental fatigue that you will have from trying to find and remember and to pull from all that you have learned in helping to diagnose this patient. So, and as, like we said, there is an asterisk because there's a reason as to why we have the training that we that we have in order to be able to make some of these decisions. And we know that adrenaline, when certain things come in, the adrenaline pops in and your your training just goes into you know high gear in your life bam 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 however if it's not that adrenaline rushed type patient but it's something that requires deeper understanding and to pull from um the depths of your knowledge <laughs> because it could be something like a, another abdominal pain right we see abdominal pain that's like one of the most common um chief complaints that we said, like, you know, people who are coming in talking about abdominal pain or they're having abdominal pain, but not all abdominal pains are the same. Correct. You know? So if we have someone, like if we even talk about even this, let's even talk about like ovarian cancer abdominal, pain. like mm -hmm. that one is the hardest yeah. one to find, right? Yeah. You're just having a vague symptoms. You might be bloated. You know, but at the end of your busy shift, if you have someone um, that fits that criteria that you're not thinking about that, you might just say, oh, I'll just do an abdominal X-ray and then, you know, because they're bloated. But uh, you're saying that being able to use AI might bring to mind says, hey, you know, what about the possibility that this might be ovarian cancer? You know, so that part of your differential should at least think about this before you can just say, ah, they just bloated with gas. Yeah. And, and I want to add a couple of things. One, at the end of the day, people ask, who, who's going to be legally 
liable for this? Is OpenAI, is the bridge, is the hospital? Who, who, who's going to be paying for my mistake here if I use ChatGPT? And, and my answer, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, my little asterisk disclaimer, but the way I see it, and I've asked others, is at the end of the day, no matter what you use as a doctor, you're ultimately responsible. The doctor is going to be held liable mm. for whatever decision-making because ultimately you're the one that pulls the trigger and says, you know what, these are all the fa factors. Now, mm -hmm. what's different today about ChatGPT versus in the past, you know, there's, you know, I remember the first time I got my phone out during a, a HMP seeing a patient and the patient's like, why are you texting? I'm like, no, no, I'm not texting. I'm just pulling up, you know, PubMed, ER, just to kind of look at mm -hmm. some of the differential and whatnot. And my point is, it was a no a, a foreign thing. But now, if I do that, patients don't think twice. They're like, oh yeah, he's not texting. He's you know looking this up, blah blah blah, mm -hmm. and it's accepted. And the other example would be Google. You know, patients show up, and Doctor Google said X Y Z, and some doctors are rolling their eyes, saying they don't know, and it's true. But that's the mm -hmm. standard now. That's what people are doing for us. So that's why we, we need to kind of comply with it and, and, and not say play along, but kind of play along. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. a big picture um, moving forward, I think it's the same thing with ChatGPT or the next AI that's coming out there. I think it's foreign. People don't know. And mm -hmm. my biggest word, worry is like the good, the bad, and the unknown in that, you know, some patients out there are unfortunately going to self-diagnose and they're going to not go to the doctor and they're going to end up hurting themselves. And I'm, I'm more worried about those patients and, and more specifically, I'm more worried about patients outside the US that can get medications can say, you know what, this ChatGPTP told me I'm diagnosed with this cancer, or I need this disease, and I need this antibiotic, and then they just show up at the pharmacy and get their laundry list of drugs. And in reality, it's all wrong or the emotional trauma of saying that they have a disease and really they don't. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of ethical questions coming. You know, the other obviously is the bias in the database of ChatGPT. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, Alrighty, that's a great point. And which is why we talk about the art versus the science of medicine. So a lot of the technology can do the science, but there's an art to it. There's a reason why we have the conversations. For those of us who've been trained in medicine, we were trained that 80% of the diagnosis is in the conversation. Right. So it's in the history taken. So when I'm listening, when I'm, you know, asking these questions, you know, when I'm diving a little deeper, you know, so what happened last week? Well, before that, well, how were you feeling before last week? Yeah. You know, just there's so many, it's a, which is why your wife probably likes those crimes because I always call it <laughs> investigative reporting. Yeah. So that's really what I do. I investigate, yeah. I investigate, I ask questions, questions, questions. And then sometimes that one statement that you made just in a laissez-faire attitude, like, oh, yeah, and da, da, da. And I said, wait a minute, what? That's what gives me the diagnosis. So that's different than just the direct scientific portion, right? And that's the art mm -hmm. of medicine. The yeah. art is. So using just these technologies and um, these aids, because they're aids, they're not replacements. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Using these aids alone can have, like you said, catastrophic event. And people, I mean, we see it with even right now when people use Google, you know, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes you're coming in and you're like, my, you know, my gallbladder is out of whack and you're pointing to the left side of your belly. And I'm yeah. like, well, the gallbladder is on the right side. But, you know, these are some of the things that um, we do have to keep in mind with the public. So, this is our like you know caveat for those who are out there that these are not replacement for your medical exams. These are not replacement to go and get um, 
to be seen by your like your healthcare professional. These are aids that we as professional use to help, but not to replace all the training that we've been through. There's a reason why we go through this training. Yeah. So um, you mentioned now, um, like, you know, the replacement and the trauma that can be associated, the mental trauma load of um, someone, you know, reading and, and misreading what they're doing or even getting just going and getting medications doses of medications, medications that are used for humans versus medications that are used for animals. Now we've seen some of that. Oh, have yeah. you, <laughs> have <laughs> you, would you like to like, you know, talk on that a little bit too? Yeah, you know, it's kind of scary. And and I, I understand why patients do it. I, I know healthcare is expensive. Not everybody has insurance and, you know, uh, the economy is hard. So it makes sense to me that people are gonna uh, cut angles. Uh, yeah. I, I'll even give a real life story that's public. Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And when he was diagnosed, he said, I don't want to do this medical, the, the traditional medicine. I want to do natural medicine and I want to do, and he pushed acupuncture and he put uh, different, you know, fruit diets and whatnot. And he was really specific. And unfortunately, uh, I think it was nine months after that, he decided, okay, let's try the traditional route. But, but the, unfortunately at that point, it had already spread to his liver and it was other parts. And, and unfortunately, had he jumped on it right away, he may have be still alive today. And so I share that story, not that I'm saying, hey, traditional medicine's bad, because honestly, my first job ever was in a health food store. And I, I love traditional medicine. I think it's a complementary to what we currently do. Mm -hmm. But to my point of that we started this is patients are seeing like, okay, when COVID happened, ivermectin was the big thing. And they were going out and using, you know, going to the vets and saying, hey, prescribe my dog ivermectin and I'm going to use this on me. And obviously that that wasn't FDA approved, that wasn't the way it should be done, but but that's what people were doing. And so using that as an example that you gave and putting that with AI, it's not gonna prevent people. You and I can say till we're blue in our face, hey, don't do that, but people are gonna do it. So my approach is the opposite. Let me help patients learn how to use this tool. Let me tell mm -hmm. them the good, the bad, the scary part of all this. And let me do the same with doctors because I don't want doctors or patients falling into the trap of not knowing and then doing things wrong. Right. Understand. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Alrighty. So that's where we see where we are with technology and with AI now. Now, what a, where do you see this going in the future? Because I mean, this is just the beginning. Like we even talked about, like the iPhone. I mean, we're on how many iterations of the iPhone now? You know, right. you have so many different versions, and we're because I I think when the iPhone came out, like I was in my first year of training, and you know, so that's over ten years ago, <laughs> like over thirteen. And I got gray hair going here, so I've, I'm longer. I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been through it. <laughs> I can honestly say I remember playing with the Palm Pilot and that being my first. You know, okay, we're not even going to go about like, okay, why well, do I still have a Blackberry right here? This is just a relic. For those who remember this thing, this was the thing. <laughs> hey, save it because it's worth a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. So now, you know, for the future, oh, yeah. the future of AI and, you know, in healthcare. So where yeah. do you see this going? Honestly, so many things are coming. Um, I've I've seen some product uh, some prototypes, and mm -hmm. I'll just share um, 
two of them that just blew me away was the first one was back in December. I saw this prototype and it's pretty simple. It's literally two AIs listening to our conversation and it's literally transcribing the conversation. And so in theory, you're not looking down at your keyboard, you're not looking to the right or left, you're kind of talking to the patient. And I thought, wow, this is going to be really good. And then they took it to the next level. What? And this is where it gets a little bit iffy and if it all, they need to probably, they're getting too close to FDA approval. But basically it's as follows. It gathers all the information. One of the arts of medicine is getting a really good history. Well, mm -hmm. it's 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 not getting the 100% history, but it's transcribing the history. But then the part that makes it nice for us doctors is that it gives us kind of like these circles. And if the patient said fatigue three times or tired, it starts giving these circles. And then at the end of the interview, you start seeing like the amount of times they said certain things. And you can kind of look back and be like, huh, and then realize this and this, this, this constellation is this disease. But then that AI takes it to the next level. And what it did is it starts prompting the doctor and saying, hey, these are the common diagnosis and then here are the common tests and these are the common things that you probably should order and then it puts it on your uh, EMR record to go ahead and just say yes and then send so I thought that's kind of interesting but mm. but from a doctor's point of view then the second one blew me away um, they're still working on this and hopefully it'll come out soon but um, this company that once remained un 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 unknown mm -hmm. uh, does the following they basically created the virtual medical resident and so it literally will get an entire history, uh, not the physical part, but the entire uh, history. Mm -hmm. And what it does is unreal. It's taking groups of questions. So if you say fever, then it's going down the algorithm of fever, but then it's verifying and helping all the differential diagnosis of questions you would ask. And then it's verifying your medicines, verifying your history. And so by the time the doctor sees that patient, the whole history part has been done. And I know skeptics will be like, oh, there's no way. No, this algorithm is really strong. And it's taking different words again and putting it together and saying, no, this we need to ask these questions to roll out this and that. And so how will that affect us as a doctor? It's not going to replace me ever. Um, but it's going to make me way more efficient because maybe, just maybe, maybe I'll catch a patient one or two that maybe I would have missed because I'm so busy in the ER that I don't have 30 minutes per patient. You know, and now that when I see the patient, I can review it, make sure that there wasn't no false questions or took mm -hmm. me down the wrong path. But as long as I'm doing that, I think the patient's going to get amazing care and they're going to get my attention because I'm not going to be looking down. I'm going to be actually looking at the patient. Mm -hmm. And then the last example that I like giving, this is like, you asked for a future question, and this is my yes. this is my two cents. I'll give two quick examples. One is an ER. One of the powers of ChatGPT4 is that they haven't released this yet, but that you should be able to take a picture, and then that picture gets analyzed, goes to ChatGPT's database, and interpret. Mm -hmm. Well, as an ER doctor, one of the things that we often see, unfortunately, is patients that are unconscious come in with a bottle of uh, pills from the paramedics saying, here, doc. And here's your unconscious patient. And you're like, great, I got to figure out what the heck this is. And mm -hmm. we're looking at the pills. We're calling poison control. We're identifying each pill. We're looking at the clinical presentation and putting it all together. Yes. Well, what if the, you could take a picture of the pills? It automatically realizes which pills those are. Based on your clinical history, it's there. And it says, okay, patient has XYZ symptoms. It puts it all together and says, more than likely, this patient's suffering from a uh, Tylenol overdose. And then mm -hmm. simultaneously, that is being in, uh, shown at the EMR for the pharmacy. And they're looking at like, oh, Dr. Castro has a Tylenol overdose. I see the patient's weight right here. Let me just go ahead and send them the antidote. And then boom. And, and then within minutes, I've already got my diagnosis. I already know. And then I can say, you know what? Here we go. 
and I'm literally helping the patients because I'm I've cut down that time. And then that mm -hmm. time it be on the phone getting poison control and them calling me back to see how the patient's doing, like all that's automated. And oh, then, the, wow. then the second example, this is real futuristic. Um, and this can happen now because all the technology is there. We just got to put it together. Mm -hmm. so I see a future as follows. Person's two o'clock in the morning, um, having symptoms. It's like, ah, should I go to the ER? They uh, turn on their website. They put in their symptoms, an AI equivalent. I know there's a lot, lot, lot of legal implications with this, but just fly with me for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, the patient goes through, answers questions. Um, the AI says, you know what? You need a doctor now or oh, there's two possibilities, say a doctor now, or let me get you a telemedicine doctor automatically, doctor pops up, what's going on, already has the history and physical, and then you go through and you're like, you know what, you need to go to the ER. Then here's the spin. They go to the ER, but now you get an ambulance that's driven by Tesla that there's no ambulance in there. You walk into the car, there's cameras, the cameras, there's cam there's the technology that the camera alone will tell you blood pressure. So you're mm -hmm. just sitting there, it tells you your vitals, all that's being streamed in real time. You have a 3D printer in the ambulance equivalent that if the doctor's like, oh, this person needs to take an aspirin, it's printing out the aspirin. You take the aspirin, you go see the doctor, do the normal thing. Say you get discharged home, and then this actually exists. Uh, you pee or you know have your uh, one or two on the bathroom, and then there's a probe in the bathroom, this exact, this already exists, and it's mm -hmm. analyzing your urine, it's able to see. So now the uh, doctor can see what electrolytes are missing, what's wrong, and then mm -hmm. that data is given to the doctor in real time. And then in theory, the doctor could say, you know what, we need to adjust this medicine, adjust the medicine, then it goes back to that person's house and it prints their medication. And I think that example that I just gave, I think that will be the future. Wow. So what you just really um, highlighted was it's it's really a cyclical, well, not a cyclical, literally just a, a panoramic version of care. So starting from home, illness or onset of illness, seeing a professional in real time, getting that information transcribed or you know not or just sent really over to the hospital so that means that there's going to be like a change in probably even the way hospitals are set up overall because mm -hmm. if you think about it um the incoming because you'll always have patients coming in via um or through ambulance and then through the front door like that's just just kind of like for us in the emergency department, we have the front door, we have the back door, the ambulance, the front door. And then, of course, you have um, patients who might come down from surgery or so on. Yeah. So based on that, those who are coming in through the ambulance, you're going to be get, they might just have to separate and have like the docs who are manning that portion because you're going to be getting information being sent in. Um, and then, you know, so by the time they come in, you already are going to have a lot of, of that. And as much as they'll have that, they probably will still want to have a human verifying things. Yeah. And, and so the way I see this playing out, I've thought about this, is I foresee a doctor being in fast track. 
and that is picking up the telemedicine calls and it'll be routed per zip code in the sense that if this patient is close to my hospital, it'll be routed to me versus another patient may not be routed because they're too far. So that way there's a little bit of continuity of care. Even if I'm not the doctor that's going to see the patient, at least I know they're coming to my hospital and I can say, mm -hmm. hey, I'll give the ER doc a quick uh, heads up or the guy that's in fast track, or not fast track, in the regular ER. Yeah. And, and I think that's how medicine's going to go. And to your point, it'll create another another clinic, per se, another way of doing business. And and I hate calling it business, but I think hospitals will see this as like, wow, I can create more buzz at my hospital and I can help patients. And, and I think this is how it's going to be integrated, is giving these kind of extra services that are very specific to their area circles mm -hmm. for their hospital. Yeah, you really just gave me a lot to think about, about the future of not just medicine, the future of emergency medicine also, and also outpatient care. Because like, as you mentioned, a lot of times whenever a patient is discharged from the hospital, getting that continuity of care is just as important because we are taking care of this time period, but then you still need the continuity and the analysis that's going on at home are the medication doses enough. You might need to get this increased, but they have it in real time or you know, within the next five days without the patient having to physically come back to the office or to the hospital. Wow. Yeah. And then another one I like talking about is I, I'm working with a company and I won't say their name, but, but mm -hmm. basically it's taking the things that normally are done in the hospital and they're done at home. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the new push, you know, getting more telemedicine visits. Why go to the hospital for certain things? Uh, the labs are now being done in your own home. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things going. They're making it easier to mail in your own labs. You know, with, have you seen those little papers where you stick yourself and you send, you know, a little blot of blood and then it does your analysis. So, you know, those things are coming. Now, the company I'm working for, I'm a, I'm one of their um, advisors. I love this technology. Basically, it's this. that What they created is they have AI in ultrasound. And my mom's an ultrasound mm -hmm. tech. And what they did mm -hmm. is the following. You have the probe and say, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm just Joe Schmo, never mm -hmm. played with it. And I need an ultrasound. They Their model is they want you to do it at CVS or if I need you know, serial ultrasounds at home, you would have this machine. And what it does is the following. I push mm -hmm. the probe on, I'm checking myself, but then the AI is saying, hey, go deeper, go to the right, go to the left, and then hold still. And then it takes a picture. And then it gathers the information, sends it to the radiologist to get a read. And I thought, oh, my God, this is freaking amazing. Because I'm already thinking, man, there's a bunch of stuff that we do and we need serial ultrasounds that we could have this set up. And the patient can go to CVS, oh, do it wow. real quick or do it at home. <laughs> like to me, it's like unreal. So I told the company, I'm like, hey, guys, we need to do this in education. We need to put this machine in ultrasound for students. We need to put this machine at the hospital levels. We need to have nurses start IVs with this technology or nurses that have no idea that it could help them. And so these are the things. Mm -hmm. And so they're excited about, they're like, huh, I hadn't thought of that. So they're, they're now looking at creating that as an entity. And I thought that'd be kind of fun just to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're just so, this is just really the tip of the iceberg as to all the technology that's available now and the depth that it can go into to help those in healthcare. Um, and when we say healthcare, we're talking about healthcare as a whole, you know, patient and 
and um, those who provide care for the patients, like being on this. So, you know, we're going to really sit and I'm going to definitely have to stew on it because <laughs> this yeah. is all going on here in the technology world. <laughs> yeah, definitely stew on it. All right. So now, you know, you're doing so many things and I, I have to bring it back to you personally. Like, what are you doing to reduce your stress, to keep your stress level low and to prevent burnout? Yeah, I love that question. You know, mm -hmm. honestly, and I tell my kids the same thing. I go, you, you got to do what you love. You got to always be happy. And, and if things don't make you happy, you need to figure out how to make things so that they're happy, that you're happy. And, and I'll give this example. They, they always laugh because I say, hey, if you put dad one day in a nursing home, know that you'll never find me in my room. You'll find me next door helping the patient next to me that I'm sure I'll be their doctor. <laughs> and so and my point is this. I, I love being a doctor. I love helping. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. And, and I think it's an important to have a balance. I know with healthcare, unfortunately, we're we're being pushed to see patients, and we need to see them quicker, and we need to, mm -hmm. you know, all the administration and get approval and deal with the insurance company, and it's such a pain, and it's not as fun to be a doctor today as it was ten years ago, mm -hmm. and so with that, uh, obviously, I'm a little biased. I started my own healthcare company. I, I did my own uh, freestanding ERs, which you know in Texas are big. Yeah. And I started a chain of them. And I thought, this is how I'm going to practice medicine. This is going to be the way I'm going to teach doctors. And obviously, I sold all those companies. But but my point is this. There was a problem. I wasn't happy. And I figured a way of kind of making a solution to make me happy. And mm -hmm. so at the end of the day, the other advice is, you know, as an ER doctor, you and I know that tomorrow is not promised. And we've seen so many horrible stories that we're almost scarred. <laughs> that we're like, yes. God. <laughs> and I know my poor children, I'm like, don't jump off the couch. You know, yes, like, oh. I know we want to put them in a bubble at times. <laughs> yeah, it's just because we're biased in the sense that we see so much horrible things that we in our mind we're like, oh my God. And I like sharing that story because at the end of the day, we need to appreciate life. We need to like live each day as if it's our last. And I think if you do that and you take times with loved ones, if you take time to smell the you know, roses, go for a walk, see the sunset. I think big picture, you'll find balance because you're like, you know what, this ain't worth it. That extra, you know, money or that extra shift or, you know, do I really need this car? You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It gets to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to live uh, less uh, at a higher standard and just not worry about money. And then things will start changing. And, and I really yeah. believe that's the key. Unfortunately, you know, med school debt, undergrad debt, you know, by the time we're, and then we have our kids that, that we're trying to help them with college and whatnot and life, you know, by the time we're like 60, we're like barely breaking even. <laughs> and so it's bad. Yes. And so I encourage people to just kind of think outside the box, balance, do their best to make sure that their mental well-being is there. Because again, tomorrow's not promised. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. You know, really living your day with intention and enjoying the moments Spend in time to, like you said, smell the roses, enjoy those who are around you now and make memories, um, you know, make great memories that you can, when you go to that nursing home, you can always remember those great memories. That's right. <laughs> All righty. So here's my fun question of the day. Now, I'm going to have to take some things off the list because we need to get deep. This is a very, very fun question. Okay. So if you weren't a doctor, a serial entrepreneur, 
AI extraordinaire, medical advisor, you know, what else? Let me see what else did you talk about? Because I listen intently and I pull off the list. So, and um, you were opening up um, businesses, we really this, and, um, you know, selling. So what would you do? What would you do? Honestly, I love, love teaching. I would mm -hmm. love to teach in like a medical school residency. Mm -hmm. I would just love to teach because I feel like I have all this knowledge. And honestly, that's what I would love to do. And just, I wouldn't want to work, you know, five days a week, but I would like to go in a few days and a couple hours and then just kill it and then give it mm -hmm. my all and just be a mentor to, you know, medical students to kind of educate the next, the next leaders in healthcare. You know, I, I honestly worry about an overabundance of technology where the next phase of residents and doctors are going to be so dependent on the CAT scan and the AI and all these tools that they're going to lose that clinical gestalt that you and I have that we walk in and they're like, hmm, X, Y, Z, this, this, and, and other people, like the newer doctor would be like, how'd you come up with that? And it's like, well, I talked to the patient and I looked at their eyes. Hey, they, they looked away every time they I said X, Y, Z. And, and I'm really worried. That's why I really want to teach. I, I eventually I'd love to just do that. You know, that is a, such an interesting answer. It's a great answer, actually, because it's unexpected from someone who is so deep within technology and loves technology and loves how it aids. It really shows the balance that we, you know, as professionals who use technology, that we're really using it only as an aid and not a replacement. When you said that the when you're talking to the patient, there is a just thought that's in there. There is a gut feeling. There is something that, and I've said it very often when I step out of that room, they're holding something back. Yeah. They're, you know, and you can tell, and it's, they're holding it back for various reasons. Technology might not be able to do that. It's the human touch. It's the human interaction. And like you said, that's another portion of clinical medicine that we teach and we pass on to our um, students. And it's a skill set that needs to be able to be rendered from one generation to the other, from one set of doctors to the other. So being able to teach that, teaching that gestalt, yeah. you know, in medical education is so important. So I, I love, love this answer. And I must say it was unexpected. <laughs> so mostly, you know, I don't really get a lot of unexpected. <laughs> so I love it, love it, love it. Alrighty. So now, you know, there are a lot of people that are out there, they're listening to this interview and they're like, whoa, okay. Um, Harvey's the real deal. <laughs> He's the real deal. I would love to get in contact with him. Where can they find you? Where can they find the books that you have um, authored? You know, where can they get into the world of Dr. Harvey Castro? Well, I'd be honored if you follow me on LinkedIn. It's kind of where I live. Uh, mm -hmm. My hashtag is basically my name, Harvey Castro, MD as a medical doctor. I'm also in all the other social media. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, Instagram. Uh, I don't use TikTok much, but I have tried to post once in a while there. Um, and then as far as the book, uh, they're all on Amazon. Uh, just mm -hmm. literally type in Harvey Castro MD and you'll see there's a slew of books. Uh, you know, obviously each one means something to me, but 
the first one is probably the one that means the most to me. It's called success reinvention. And it's that whole idea of we need to always reinvent ourselves. You know, even if we're a doctor, or we got our PhD or whatever, mm -hmm. we got to always stay humble and hungry and kind of always try to make ourselves better. And so my book is just kind of going through, you know, all my successes, but then really how to teach people how to be successful. And my, my goal with that one book is just to help that child. Cause I was that kid that grew up in a poverty home and my mom was a teenager and I didn't have anything. And I thought I, I need to speak to those children. I need to speak to those single parents out there. And so that's mm -hmm. why I wrote that book. Oh, love it. It's your way of giving back yeah. of letting the, the child and the parent know that things will be okay. And, yeah. you know, here's a blueprint to help you to render success in your life and in your child's life. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. That, that definitely is a touching moment. Alrighty. You know, this conversation was excellent. You know, it, it's, and I could say it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much more. You were going to be on like, just like the iPhone, you know, I don't know what iteration we're on an iPhone now, but we're going to be on that. And we're like, okay, Harvey, so tell us what's going on now. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have you back on it, letting us know all the newest technology that's going to be available to help those in the healthcare field and to really aid patients and those who take care of their patients. Alrighty, Dr. Castro, it was an honor having you on the show today. Before you leave, are there any last words that you would love to tell those who are listening? Yeah, honestly, it goes back to just making sure you spend time with that loved one. You know, whoever mm -hmm. that is, just make sure you call them randomly and tell them how much you care about them. Because again, tomorrow's not promised. And, and I think it's a good feeling just to know that you're calling, you know, whoever that is and make mm -hmm. sure you do. I, I know personally, at one point I was ER doc, starting a company, writing a book, getting my MBA, and I lost, you know, track of things. And so I'm reminding people, hey, we're all busy, but take a minute to thank those around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You heard that here. Take a minute to thank those around you. And this is coming from those of us with very biased perspective because we see so many unfortunate things in our specialty. Alrighty. Thank you so much, Dr. Harvey Castro. Thank you all of you who are listening, who watched this. And like Dr. Castro says, you can get in contact with him on LinkedIn and it's hashtag Harvey Castro MD. And then you can find out all things about what's going on. His book is available also on Amazon. I should say his books are available. We'll do the proper <laughs> on Amazon. And then you can also get in contact with him for any additional things. Just send him a message on LinkedIn. Yes. Alrighty. For those who are watching and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to hear all of this. You know what? Have no fear. You can get this entire episode available on our Your Caring Docs podcast. Let's go to the Your Caring Docs website, U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Click podcast. You'll see Dr. Castro's face. Just click listen here and you'll hear this entire conversation. If you are an amazing doc like Dr. Castro doing amazing or fantastic things inside and outside of clinical medicine, you'd love to highlight and let us all know what you're doing. Send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book and we will love to have you on the show. Keep in mind we are booked out three months in advance because of amazing doctors like yourself. I would love to love to love to have you here. Alrighty, we have some people that are saying, oh, and hello, hello in the chat. 
Yes, thank you so much, Hussein. Makar Hussein, thank you so much. You said that was amazing. Yes, thank you so much, Aziz Poor. Thank you so much. He said that this was an amazing chat. Yes, yes, yes. And he said, yes, yeah, so many books. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so many books. JC Spiker, I hope I pronounced your name right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So thank you to all those people who are in the chat and I thank you guys for listening. Thank you for being part of this wonderful conversation. We will have you on another time, Dr. Castro. So for those of you who are listening, we are counting down to our 200th Dr. Physician interview. Yes. So we are a few physician interviews away, less than a handful from our 200th interview. I wonder who will it be? What will we do for that 200th one? We don't know. So you have to tune in to find out. All righty. Thank you. Thank you so much. All righty, guys. You have a great weekend and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.